Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. When it comes to patient safety and medication errors, the industrial sector paved the way by developing numerous techniques for process improvement that are now utilized in the healthcare arena. Many of us are familiar with Six Sigma, Lean, and DMAIC methodologies, but how are they applied to pharmacy dispensing processes that ultimately achieve improved patient safety? Here to answer that question and to provide examples of medication errors and how to fix them is Dr. Kyle Eichmann, a pharmacist at Mayo Clinic Rochester. For the learning objectives, we want to describe the goals of Six Sigma methodology, review examples of its application within pharmacy dispensing uh, for the goal of patient safety. We want to review DMAIC methodology, and we want to describe how Lean and Six Sigma can be used to achieve the same goals of patient safety. Between the learning objectives and the title, I threw a lot of buzzwords out there. So we can start with our first one of process management. What does that mean? The arrow on the left-hand side, you can just look at this as a system. The arrow on the left-hand side is going to be your input. The gears are your output. And that kind of thing that's cooking in the middle is your process to get from your inputs to your outputs. Process management is just how do you get from one area to the other? And how do you manage that process? How do you make changes while keeping your outputs the same? There's a couple of different ways that you can do that. Uh, the different methodologies will focus in on different goals. So you can change your processes and tweak them depending on what you want to accomplish. So Six Sigma is gonna be the main one we're gonna be talking about today. The goal of that one is to achieve consistent results. We're also gonna be talking about lean a little bit and that one is to improve efficiencies or reduce costs. I also just for an FYI, put a few other ones in there. We've got value stream mapping, which is to bring value to your customers. And agile is quickly pivoting to changes in your market conditions or adding features to your products. As you can see, there's none of these are necessarily better or worse than any other ones. It's just different ways to look at your uh, systems, different ways to make tweaks to your systems if you want to achieve these different goals. We'll be talking about Six Sigma first. That is a process design method. The goal is to achieve consistent results. And this was originally developed within factories in the manufacturing industry within the 1980s. We keep talking about consistent results. Well, consistency is measured by measuring your, process, your products when they come out of your output of your system. And that can be measured either by you know, heights or weights. It could be something like tensile strength of a beam. It could be something like the brightness of a light bulb, just as long as they're consistent as they're coming out of your factory. If you're wondering where the name came from, the uh, if you remember back to statistics, sigma was the symbol for a standard deviation. So when you've got a standard deviation on a bell curve, if you remember your population sizes of that, one standard deviation is about 68% of your population, two standard deviations is like 95%. As you keep going, six standard deviations is 99.99966 of it. Um, another way to phrase that is things that fall outside of there is 3.4 million per um, per 3.4 cases per million are gonna fall outside of those six standard deviations. For those who really know their statistics, that's not exactly true. There's some things within this methodology that uh, accept some variance within your product and some uh, drift of your means. Um, so it's not exactly that, but we're not gonna get into that. 
And if you had a little trouble understanding exactly what I was saying there, I put it in the visual format here. So the one on the left is a normal distribution. Both of these have the same mean of 100. The standard deviation on the left-hand side is two and the standard deviation on the right-hand side is eight. So it's much larger. Let's say our goal is to have between 85 and 115. The one on the left-hand side, you can see the tails of that population are uh, pretty flat. There's not very many cases outside of there. Whereas on the right-hand side, you can just barely see that there's some cases on those they're falling outside of our uh, acceptable tolerances. And so the goal of Six Sigma, again, is to improve your precision in your processes so that your entire population falls within those tolerances that you want. And to do that, Six Sigma is will utilize data and statistics. So everything is very data specific. We're not doing things based off of opinions. We're going to do it based off of the data that we collect and then run statistical analysis on it. And you do root cause analysis to discover your areas for improvement. Root cause analysis is the idea of saying, okay, well, why did this failure occur? Why did something come out not the way we expected it to? You want to look and ask why that is, but then you want to keep asking why and say, okay, is there something that was the root cause is where that phrase comes from as you keep asking why, what was the one thing that went wrong that then caused a cascade of other things to go wrong that created our wrong output. To bring this into healthcare, uh, first this was brought into the service sector to meet customer needs. And so one way to kind of frame this was to say, all right, we have a failure of a product because it was outside of our consistent goal that we wanted. Well, within the customers, it was just, well, we had a failure to meet the customer needs. That can be a true false statement. That can be, okay, the customer left upset, or it could be the uh, range. So if you have a restaurant, it could be, hey, we want our food to be delivered between 10 and 20 minutes, but you know, this one landed at 25 minutes, we need to go back and figure out why it took so long to cook the food this time. So again, it could be arranged or it could be a true false condition. And what was discovered when you brought this into the service sector was many of those tools and frameworks within Six Sigma were that applied to manufacturing could also be applied to the service sector. So you might be saying, okay, well, what tools are we talking about? Just to give one quick example, there's checklists. Checklists are just a real simple, effective way to uh, drive consistency. You know, anyone can look at the tasks on a checklist and say, okay, has this been performed yet? And then you go and perform the task or you, you know, mark it off and say, yep, I performed this. We'll uh, bring some real world cases here. So surgical checklists have been brought out across numerous institutions. They've been uh, kind of, validated at this point because they've been brought out at so many institutions. So one study found that surgical complications decreased from about 23% down to 10% after an implementation of a checklist. And then one that was specifically looking at antibiotic stewardship found that 12% of antibiotics were skipped in cases, and that was reduced down to about 7% after a checklist was implemented. So again, your staff is looking at something and saying, okay, has this occurred yet? Do we need to make this event occur? So now that we've had this brief introduction, we can go through our first case study or first question. So the case study is a hospital within our system is having some major delays in patient care, and it's all stemming from pharmacy. We've had some delayed medication deliveries, and this is causing impasse, impacts across many departments. We have delays in surgical start times, delays in emergency room discharges, increase in fusion therapy center chair times. And because of this widespread impact, the executive leadership at the hospital says this is a priority issue, it needs to be fixed, and we're willing to deploy whatever resources are necessary to fix it. If you want to improve the delivery times, what strategy do you think would align with Six Sigma methodology? You can give your answers through the Poll Everywhere um, website, which or the Poll Everywhere app. The website is at the top of the screen there. Alternatively, you can text MayoRx to 22333 and then uh, respond to join and then give your response. And so, A, do we want to focus, do we want to ask our most experienced team member or our best team members to see what their perspective is? B, do we want to focus in on hiring and training new staff to meet this increased demands? 
C, do we want to measure our steps in our dispensing processes, look for bottlenecks? Or D, do we want to build some satellite pharmacies and give specialized services to the affected departments? And we'll actually go over the answer in a few minutes here. Um, I was going to want to go over one of these tools in the Six Sigma toolbox here, which is the DMAIC process. So DMAIC is an acronym. It stands for Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve, and Control. It's a data-driven cycle. So again, it kind of fits with Six Sigma that they're both data-driven. You want to collect and measure your results. And it's a cycle, so you go back and review your results. And this is one of the core tools within Six Sigma. I will mention that neither DMAIC nor Six Sigma are necessarily exclusive to each other. You could use either framework within the other. We'll go over the details of that acronym a little bit more here. So define, we want to define both our customer expectations, but also what we're currently doing, what our current business processes are. We want to measure, so we measure the results of those processes and every step of the process too. We want to analyze, so we want to look for our defects and our sources of, vari of uh, variations to prioritize our areas for change. Improve, so that's where we actually make our changes. And then we want to control, so we want to come up with some strategies to uh, monitor those changes, make sure our staff are following the changes that we expected. And then we also want to see what the actual results were after we made our changes. I will mention there's numerous alternatives to DMAIC. So this is other things that you could use within the Six Sigma framework. It's just an alphabet soup that I'm not gonna go over. Um, the bolded one at the summary though, is to say, we wanna make sure that we measure our effects. We want it to be statistical and we wanna review our successes after the fact, make sure the changes we thought were gonna happen actually did happen. And so now I'm gonna go over an example of the DMAIC cycle within pharmacy. Um, most of the uh, topics with this, this is gonna be kind of a, uh, Usually this is a way to get the audience to get to know each other and we bring some people up, but both with COVID restrictions and with time restrictions, um, I'm just going to kind of quickly run through it here. So with this one, we got a pharmacy that we want to open across from the hospital and in there we dispense purple tablets. Uh, they're great because they improve patient happiness, they improve patient health and lives, but we've got a problem. We also dispense orange tablets and those lead to bad outcomes. And so every day we receive calls from prescribers that say, we want to give purple tablets to our patients because they're great, but we've been dispensing some orange tablets in there. And we want to make sure we're not giving orange tablets anymore. So let's just say I am a new MBA graduate. I'm going to be the one who's opening this pharmacy. I'm, oh, I am going to be hiring a whole bunch of pharmacists. And I don't really know pharmacy dispensing, but you know what? I know people, I know what makes people tick, and I know how to improve people's performance. So I'm going to measure what's going on with these people. I'm going to see how these pharmacists do each day, and I'm going to give some feedback to them. So after the first day, we'll notice that Basim did a great job. He dispensed 29 out of his 30 tablets were purple. I guess that means there's one orange one. Fred didn't do so good. Fred got a 25 there. So you know what? Again, I don't really know these systems. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have Basim go and teach his colleagues. Hopefully that'll help improve our system here. We come back the next day, we see, okay, there's some improvement and that's that's good. You know, we'll talk about keeping up the momentum on everyone, but Basim slipped. So maybe I'll pull him aside and say, hey, you know what? Just because you were the star performer yesterday doesn't mean you're going to stay the star performer. Uh, you know, we need you to stay on task here, buddy. Come back the next day and looks like, okay, we're slipping a little bit. Well, people respond to incentives. We'll give some financial incentives and we'll see who our best performer is. They can all take them out to lunch. Maybe we'll threaten to terminate our lowest performer. We'll come back the next day. By the way, this is really a slow pharmacy because uh, each pharmacist only dispenses one, one bottle each day. Uh, so anyway, Joe didn't do so great, so we're going to terminate him. Basim did a great job. He's back to his old self. Come back the next day, we hired somebody else who isn't doing much better than Joe did, but Basim's doing great. And then at that point, I was terminated, so uh, we're going to move on with our example here. So with our DMAIC process in pharmacy, 
how do we how do we apply that to that example that I just gave? Well, first, let's define our expectations. Well, we realize we want to reduce our incidence of orange tabs. We want to you know tighten up our processes so we only are dispensing our purple tablets. Then we're going to measure them. Well, we did just measure all of our dispenses there, and we want to analyze them. I will argue that what I was doing there was I was trying to improve the process at the same time as I was measuring, which isn't very helpful. Um, you know, we want to get our measure for our baseline first before we start doing any sort of adjustments to our processes. So now that we've measured them and we're going to start analyzing here them here, uh, you can see I'm plotting this against a histogram. Usually you're going to want your statisticians to take a look at these things. And with this one, you can see that it basically looks like a bell chart. You can probably guess what occurred here. I just threw this in a random number generator, and then I came up with the storyline after the fact of what I was going to do with the employees. Uh, there's the stat test on the top right there that kind of shows that, you know, this looks like a random variance. And in this particular case, now that we've analyzed it, well, managing the people here, we're still getting all these random variances. Managing the people isn't really helpful. We want to manage our system. And for those who can see, we had our fancy uh, dispensing cabinets there, and our fancy dispensing cabinets had a mixture of orange and purple tabs. And what we need to fix is that piece of it. If we want to improve that, we can maybe do a few things. We could ask our supplier to improve their processes and make sure that they end up in our dispensing cabinets as just the correct product. Or we could have the pharmacist double check the uh, product so that they're actually looking in the bottles before they're dispensing it before it goes out of the pharmacy. And then for control, we want to develop a strategy to monitor and control those processes. So if we decide that we want our supplier to uh, change their supplies, we have to find some way to control what the supplier is doing. If we want to do it in-house, we have to find some way to do follow-up with those pharmacists after the fact. And we'll talk about some strategies for those improvement steps. I think the improvement is kind of the most interesting one. Uh, it's the one that's, you know, is actually making those changes. I think it's the one that people tend to be interested in. So these are all going to be um, within the Six Sigma model that we're going to go here. Uh, I'm going to start with the Swiss cheese model and slowly bring it into real world scenarios within pharmacy. So I think a lot of people in healthcare have seen the Swiss cheese model before. Each Swiss cheese, each slice is some form of a double check or filter in which we're trying to catch errors or catch our sources of variation. Those red lines are hazards, and so that's when they get caught. The times in which a loss is not prevented or when a hazard actually reaches the patient is when all of those filters kind of line up or we find a way to bypass all of our double checks, and then it ends up getting to the patient. To bring this into a real world example, um, we've got a look-alike, sound-alike drug products. So we got nitroglycerin versus nitroprusside. The lines at the bottom are pharmacy prepared doses. So those were dispensed in the pharmacy, a label printed out and a tech went and grabbed the product. We, uh, at a lot of hospitals, the product is, uh, is kept on a shelf alphabetically. So nitroglycerin and nitroprusside are gonna be right next to each other. And so a lot of times you're going to want to put some lookalike, soundalike flags on your shelving. So that's our first slice of cheese there. The tech noticed that flag. They're going to slow down and they might double check their label. They might double check their product and say, okay, this is correct. And that prevented the, uh, the incorrect product from being made. But, you know, there's some uh, alert fatigue that happens. So let's just say they didn't notice that. Um, then they get into the bar can barcode scanning step. So they scan their label for the product, they scan the, uh, the label for the order, and the, their medical record system gives them a warning that says, hey, these two products are not the same. That'll get the tech to slow down again, but for whatever reason, let's say they bypassed it. Well, then the pharmacist is going to verify it. So let's say the pharmacist is a second pair of eyes. So now, you know, the pharmacist is going to take a second look at this. They notice it's the wrong product. So those are all of our filters and all of our double checks. Those are things that caught all of our errors. 
However, the one at the top, that was a pharmacy prepared dose at a code. So uh, let's just say the provider said, hey, I want uh, to start a nitro drip on this patient. Please, you know, pharmacist, please go make that for me. The pharmacist just go, doesn't clarify which nitro they want. They go to the code cart. They see only, you know, one within the drawer they're looking at is nitroprusside. They mix up the drip and then the wrong product gets to the patient. I'll bring into a real world example that's not in healthcare. So this is from the food industry. So what you see here is a pizza oven. This is a traditional pizza oven. On the left-hand side, there's a real fire there. So the cook has to manage that fire, put logs on there, make sure it's the right temperature. And on the right-hand side, we've got all of our pizzas. Uh, the cook also has to keep track of all of those, make sure they're in the correct cooking times, make sure they're not overdone or underdone. It's just a lot of things to keep track of, a lot of work to do. So one thing that you can do is you can make this easier to do it the right way. And this is something that you would see in most pizza chains now have these conveyor ovens on the right hand side. And so the uh, cooks at the beginning of the day, they can just set the temperature at the, uh, they can set it to 450, press the start button. And then maybe they'll have a second pair of eyes that does it. And then it, that piece is just done. You're not having to deal with your logs. You're not having to uh, deal with managing the heat of the fire. And then they've got this uh, conveyor belt that pulls it across that oven. So you set the speed of that conveyor belt. And then again, it's just done. Every pizza comes through at the same amount of time. They're done for a consistent amount of, of uh, rate and time and temperature. So again, it's one way to make it a whole lot easier to do it the right way. Each of those things, it, each of those features within the pizza oven is like adding another slice to your, uh, to your model here. And so you can prevent losses by, again, kind of designing your system in a way that creates these slices of Swiss cheese. And again, it's nicer to have it be the easier than it is to have it be the harder way. So again, your uh, cooks don't have to do things like manage, okay, this is how long this one was in the oven. It just goes in and you have fewer losses that way. I'll bring this into an example of the electronics industry, kind of building on the idea of having things go easier when you don't have to think about it. On the left-hand side, you've got a USB plug. With that one, you can plug it in. There's only one right way to plug it in. If you try to jam it in the wrong way, it won't go in. You have to figure out to turn it over. It takes a little time to figure that out to turn it over, but again, you've designed it at least in a way that it won't go wrong. The one in the middle is a USB-C, so that's a newer standard. With that one, you can plug it in the one way, turn it over, plug it in the other way. It works either way. And so you don't have to think about, okay, why is this jamming up? Why won't it go in? It at least goes in. And then the one on the right-hand side is a headphone jack. With that one, you know, you can change the orientation, say 30 degrees, 60 degrees. It'll still go in. Again, it just makes it simpler, less things to think about. And, you know, if we're going to bring this into the patient safety realm, you want to make things easier to be safe for the patient. What we've got here is some syringes. On the left-hand side, we've got oral syringes. The right-hand side is some IV syringes. They've got different connectors. Those connectors are not compatible with each other. And so it's easier to do it the right way. You know, you can try to jam one of those oral ones into an IV line, but it won't fit. If you do have to uh, go and find another syringe to do it, it's extra work to do that. So it's extra hurdles. You have to think about how, are, how am I going to make this thing work instead of just making it the easier way. These design mechanisms to prevent errors, that's called error proofing or poke okay within the Six Sigma lingo. I will say that errors can still occur. 
So on the top example there, uh, we've got a nurse that pulled up a dose of oral nemotapine suspension, came out of a dispensing cabinet, along with a whole bunch of other IV medications. So you can kind of imagine how that was kind of easier to make the mistake. The oral drug was sitting in the dispensing cabinet with a whole bunch of other IV medications. The nurse probably just went and grabbed a whole bunch of IV syringes out of a bin, just started drawing up everything. And so, you know, the, the nurse would have to think about, okay, here's my one that's different. How do I treat this one differently? The one on the bottom was maybe a little bit easier to, uh, to do it the right way, but it still went wrong. So with that one, it was a syringe with oral lorazepam, and that was delivered to the unit correctly in the correct syringe. However, the nurse was not able to, correct it to, to connect it to an IV line. What went wrong here was the lorazepam is a controlled substance. I'm sure most people know that. It's Schedule 4. So it was written C for control, IV for Roman 4. And the nurse interpreted that as IV. It should be going into an IV line. So the nurse then said, okay, well, I still need to get this into an IV line. How do I do that? Then went and hunted down a parental syringe to then get it to connect to an IV line. So again, it was a little bit harder to make that error. I think, you know, you can kind of see that, that the first one is, all right, you can, you're setting yourself up for failure. The second one, it's, you're setting yourself up for success, but having that IV printed on the label, you know, steered you in the wrong direction. We'll talk about this, these errors a little bit more here. So this is a study of a simulated patient room. These errors were intentionally introduced and then uh, the rates of catching the error were recorded. You can see that line 19 there, these oral drugs in an injectable syringe had a really poor chance of getting caught. And then just for reference, I also put the line below it in the table here. You can see that uh, this tenfold increase in dose was caught at a much higher rate by pretty much all personnel types. And then because this error was caught so rarely, one of the things within Six Sigma or Demake that you would wanna do is try to design your system to put the correct syringe before it gets to the floor. Uh, this isn't a new idea either. ISMP is the Institute for Safe Medical Practices. They published, uh, their, this is one of their best practices that says, yep, make sure that only oral, syringe, only oral medications are going up in oral syringes. If you uh, kind of saw the trend of that one, the idea is that we wanted to put the double checks earlier on in the process, and we don't want our last end user to be the one having to do those double checks. Here's another example of that. So this is barcode scanning implementation. Um, so this is during the preparation process. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting is I put both these studies in there. Um, they both happen to have almost the exact same numbers of before and after, which is interesting. So before barcode scanning was introduced, the pharmacist was rejecting orders and saying, hey, something went wrong here and it was prepared incorrectly about 2% of the time. After that, it went down to about 0.3% of the time. Neither of these studies measured the near miss data. So we don't know why it was that things were, uh, why it was that techs weren't making it, but the authors were proposing that these barcodes were stopping the techs from making the, pro the uh, product in the first place. So it wasn't getting to the pharmacist to get rejected. To go back to our Swiss cheese model, this is like the idea of setting up on the bottom there, your, your first slice of Swiss cheese gets thicker. And so what you're doing is you're preventing those hazards from getting to the later slices of the Swiss cheese. So you don't need all those additional filters. They're probably good to still have, but they're not necessary. And, you know, if you think about this from a patient safety idea, well, if you're not making the product in the first place, it's pretty hard to give the wrong product to the patient. Um, again, it's kind of this idea of design to make it easier, design to make it so that you aren't doing the wrong thing once uh, for the end user who's actually getting the medication. I will mention that this will save on workload and lost product if you catch it prior to uh, the product being made. We can put a little pin in that. I'll be discussing that a little bit more later.
So now we've talked about DMAIC a little bit. So once we've completed the DMAIC review process, what do you think our next step is gonna be? Do we wanna publish our results to make sure that everyone within our institution and outside of our institution is aware of the changes we made? Do we wanna measure the same process again? Do we wanna recognize our key employees to, uh, from our improvement steps or do we wanna demand a raise? Again, I'll mention you can use the uh, Poll Everywhere app or text to Mayo, text Mayo RX to 22333. Okay, so it seems like everyone's kind of locked, locked in on that measure the same processes again, which is correct. So with the uh, control step, I did mention that uh, DMAIC is a cyclic process. And so once you've implemented your changes, you do want to make sure that both the intended effect is occurring, that the good thing that you thought was happening is happening, but you also want to measure for unintended effects. So with, uh, you know, let's say we just put so many double checks in place that we've just delayed our products from getting out of the pharmacy, you know, the earliest that a stat med is coming out is three or four hours, that's going to create some patient harms. Um, some other things within this uh, Six Sigma and DMAIC framework that I did want to mention is it's important to, again, it's a data-driven cycle. You want to test things each step along the way, measure things each step along the way. You're going to want to do some pilot tests. Um, you want to make sure that in a small setting that you're going to get the good results that you expect. And then when you start implementing it across the rest of the system, you want to make sure that those match the pilot tests. You want to see if there's any variation. You want to check out what that variation is so that that's another thing that you can focus in on and try to fix. And then again, quality improvement is a continuous process. It's a cycle. You keep going back more and more. That'll bring us to our next question, which is actually going to bring me into my next topic here. Uh, Six Sigma is a methodology which can be used to achieve all of the following except do we want to reduce costs, increase customer satisfaction, lower our defect rates, or re reduce process variability? So which one is not addressed within Six Sigma? So there is a split between reduced costs and increased customer satisfaction. Um, I, I guess I did a poor job on my one slide there. So within the uh, service industry, customer satisfaction is considered your success rate within Six Sigma. And so if you uh, fail to meet your customer needs, that's considered a failure. The actual one is the actual answer is going to be to reduce your costs. So while Six Sigma can reduce your costs, it's not actually a goal of the process. And what I'm going to go here is, you know, I mentioned in that one slide that we'll get back to it. So you can save on your workload and lost product if you're catching these errors ahead of time. It's not necessarily the goal of Six Sigma, but that is something that is a nice side effect. However, lean methodology is our method that is concerned with reducing costs and uh, increasing our efficiency. So lean methodology is another one. I'm not going to go into quite as much detail about how to actually implement lean, but we're going to discuss it within the framework of Six Sigma and patient quality here. So it was also developed in the manufacturing industry for use in factories in the 1980s. And the main goal is to reduce waste during your production. And you can kind of reframe that as to say, okay, we want to reduce costs or we want to increase our efficiency within our systems. And I've got our list of ways that of our list of waste that you want to reduce. The acronym that's commonly used on this is Tim Woods. We've got transportation of moving materials around, inventory, so not stockpiling things you don't need to, motion of just the unnecessary steps of moving people around or also moving your equipment or your, your raw material around, waiting time, um, both your employees and your equipment downtime. We've got overproduction and overprocessing. Um, overproduction is kind of self-explanatory. Overprocessing is the idea of, um, let's say you have a chair, you know, you might only need to make a chair for say 500 pounds, but you might engineer it for say 10,000 pounds and instead you made a bridge. Well, you over-engineered that, you put too much time into that. One thing that's kind of interesting with that is when you bring those into healthcare, unnecessary patient tests fall into both of those categories. 
So you can kind of imagine you don't need a CBC every hour. There's not much use to that. So that's an overproduction. But you can also think of overprocessing too. You know, you might be too focused in and trying to get too specific on some of your tests when really a more you know generalized test is all that's necessary to make a patient decision. There's also defects, which we talked a little bit about, the time taken to identify and correct defects. And then there's the skills waste, which is the not fully utilizing your employees. And then the knowledge that's lost if it's not shared within your employees. So again, we kind of discussed defects there. I'm going to go over skills in a little bit more detail here. So when we talk about wasted skills, your employees who are actually doing the day-to-day -day tasks, they're usually the ones who see this waste. They're usually the ones who see, hey, this, you know, I'm doing more work than I need to on whatever. And they, you know, one way to phrase this is people are lazy. They're going to find the easiest solution to their problem. One kind of cutesy model for this is called a desire path. So on the left-hand side, you can see that the path was paved and that's where these people are supposed to be walking within a park. But on the right-hand side, it's very clear that people are instead choosing to walk directly to the, uh, to the basketball courts using just the grass. To bring that into a healthcare example, most IV pumps require users to select drugs to administer. And there's lots of safety checks that are put into place with that. So there's one of guardrails of higher or low rates of administration. And you've also got the appropriateness of the drug location for its location. So um, let's say you got an infusion therapy center, you're probably not gonna wanna give paralytics in there. So if a drug, you know, if a bag of a paralytic got delivered to that area, maybe the nurse can't find that in the drug library. Maybe that's a good thing to ask the question, why is this not? in my drug library. But most of these pumps do have an override option. So you can just set it for a consistent rate. And in some cases that might be the easiest thing to pick, but it may not be the most appropriate. Maybe you do wanna have those safety options in place. A real example of this was within a NICU. Uh, there was 74% of the alerts that were that were shown to the nurses were overridden. And then pumps went into that override mode without any safety monitoring 13% of the time. So this is something that your employees, again, this is, we're talking about like wasted skills. Your employees, those NICU nurses know why they're overriding these alerts. We don't know why, because we don't have a lot of information in the study, but the majority of these alerts aren't telling them anything. They're just bypassing them. So, you know, this is something that you might want to ask, hey, why is this that you're going into this override mode? You know, the 13% of the time, why is it the majority of the time we're bypassing this? Those are areas that you can look at for areas for improvement. Uh, to bring that back into the model, we can say that people look for the easiest solution. Again, sometimes people are lazy, but they're going to want to get to their goal in the easiest way. And that goal can change based off of your context. And so one thing that we can do is we can accept and integrate that solution. We might be able to say, okay, well, the reason why these, these warnings are being overridden so much is because we're in a NICU and standard dosing doesn't apply to a NICU. Maybe we need to rework that those pump settings. And if we, we rework those pump settings, well, in that case, we might be able to better serve our patients and get better safety monitoring for them. The alternatives, we can use the control process from DMAIC and we can prevent the behavior in the first place. So again, if we're looking at desire pass, we can build a wall. Maybe we can put up so many double checks. Maybe we can get a second nurse that needs to override it. They need to find their, their uh, charge nurse if they're going to go into override mode to double check this. And maybe this is going to be so much extra work that they're not going to do it unless it's a real emergency. And that's the idea of changing your context too. You know, If you make it so difficult, well, that context of the goal changes. It's not the easiest solution anymore. 
I will mention the walls won't always work. So again, going back to the desire pass, this is a uh, this is a trail that people were riding their bikes on. The park system was trying to prevent it, so they put up that gate. But then people were just going around the gate, so they built those walls, and then people were just going around those walls. So it won't always work. It is something that you do want to regularly monitor. Something I want to mention with lean methodology here, if you're looking into studies of this, they're often going to measure the results in terms of waste reductions. So just to give a quick example here, this is an oncology pharmacy, they wanted to reduce their times from when an order was placed to when it was dispensed or at the patient's bedside, they were able to reduce those times. The specifics of that and how they did it again aren't too important here. Similarly, we've got some emergency room data here. So this is from a review article of lean being implemented in multiple emergency departments. Uh, when, when you uh, quickly scan those results, it's things like direct patient costs, it's things like time of stay, time to see provider, provider wasted time. Again, not too important about the specifics of, of the why or how this happened, but the why of why they're publishing it this way is something I wanted to talk about. So, well, one reason why is because, as we mentioned, the goal of lean is to reduce waste in the first place. So if you're doing a lean study, you're going to publish that. But, you know, if we're talking today about patient safety, that's not as relevant. But it is still useful, though. And some reasons why is because it's easier to measure that versus rare safety events. So something like a patient admission time, patient discharge time, well, every patient who goes into the hospital is going to have those data points. But safety events are hopefully rare things. So if you're looking for implementing a change, it's easier to measure those things that have every single patient. It's easier to power your study and see the difference than it is to look at those rare events. And then there's just the practical aspect. Let's say you want to implement a change. It's a costly change. It's easier to sell that to your leaders if you have these tangible saving results versus, well, we have a theoretical safety improvement that may or may not happen. We have to measure it to see whether or not it's going to happen. So just to hammer that point home again, we've got this table here of differences between lean and Six Sigma. The goal of lean is to eliminate waste. Six Sigma is to minimize variation. And uh, another way to say minimize variation, you can improve your performance and improve your quality. For lean, it's going to be driven by your local employees. For Six Sigma, it's done by gap analysis or those root cause analyses. So you're looking at where the errors occurred and working your way backwards to find out the exact point in which your errors were happening. However, if you kind of combine these, you can reduce your waste, you can reduce your unnecessary work, and you can improve your cycle times. And so that brings us to Lean Six Sigma, which is the combination of those two processes. So this was first formally described in the early 2000s. So the emphasis is still on using data and statistics. It's still on doing those root cause analyses to find your, your initial problem. And you wanna prioritize those problems. However, your outcomes are gonna be more lean based. So we've got one example here. This is a study of a large tertiary hospital in Illinois. The goal was to increase the conversion of IV to PO therapies during the hospital stay. And how did they do that? Well, first they created a list of these targeted medications that are easy to convert from IV to PO. And then the medical record system would do checks for this. They, so they would look for those targeted medications. They would look for dietary restrictions, if no dietary restrictions. And if there is those targeted medications, well, a flag would go to the pharmacist and the pharmacist was empowered using policies to make a change to convert from IV to PO. 
So now if you're looking at this, you can kind of see some of these are landing in that Six Sigma bucket. Things like having top-down direction that say, okay, we're gonna plan this list ahead of time and we're gonna plan out a policy that allows things, that allows our um, employees to make changes. And we're gonna plan out our medical record system to flag the employee. All those things are within the Six Sigma framework. But then within the lean framework, you've got that the pharmacist is the one who's allowed to make the IV to PO conversion. And so when you say, okay, the pharmacist can make that change, that pharmacist is the one who's actually looking at all the medications, and they don't have to waste their time hunting down a provider to say, okay, well, we might be able to change this. You know, we've already planned that out ahead of time, and they can just make that change. It makes a much more efficient, easier switch. If you're wondering the results of this study, the missed opportunities of IV to PO conversion was reduced from 37% down to 21%. And then there was actually an adjusted length of stay. Uh, so this is within those populations of patients that were, um, that were switched over. So before implementation, it was about eight days. That was reduced down to 6.4 days. So that's something that you can really go to your leadership and say, hey, look, we are getting some tangible money benefits here. And also we're you know, helping out our patients because we're not keeping them on an IV if we don't need to. Uh, just a couple of other things to quickly mention in my summary here, um, pretty much all those examples that I gave during the Six Sigma part, things like barcode scanning, things like the oral syringes, those are um, within the lean framework too, because we were talking about, well, we're creating less waste. So um, again, pretty much everything did combine those two. If you are interested to learn more about any of these things, um, all, all of those disciplines, the Lean, the Six Sigma, and the combination of Lean Six Sigma, they all have defined competency levels. Uh, it follows the martial arts systems of belts. So you've got white belt and yellow belt, green belt. Black belt is the highest performer. And then there's champions are the ones who teach this to other people. There's accreditation bodies for these programs. Uh, as you can imagine, the accreditation bodies are big on consistency and quality. So usually as long as you search for one that's accredited, you're going to get pretty much the same info from a lot of these programs. Mayo does have a few internal programs if you're interested in looking within Mayo for those. And so I'll give a quick summary here. Six Sigma is a process methodology. It utilizes data and statistics, and the goal is to achieve consistent results. Those methods have been deployed to reduce patient harms. DMAIC is one of those common tools within the toolbox of Six Sigma, and it's used to make data-driven changes. It's the, again, the thing that it stands for is define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. And then lean is your process methodology. The goal is to reduce waste or costs. And lean and Six Sigma can both be utilized together to achieve those same goals of reducing patient harms, improving patient safety. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.